0: to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for January 2018 is Famous Family Trees. We will start off with news from the blogosphere, where Diane Haddad is going to give us a look at genealogy on TV. And then we will jump right into our top tips segment, where author Shannon Combs Bennett will remove the mystery around heraldry. In our 101 Best Website segment, we'll dig into a genealogy website where you can not only very likely find your ancestors, but also lots of famous folks. Dave Frixell will be here to tell us more. And professional organizer Janine Adams is here to talk to us about Family Tree University's latest workshop on getting organized. And finally, we will wrap things up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan there's a lot to cover. So let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is all about famous people in your family tree. And certainly all of us probably have at least one out there. And uh, here to talk a little bit more about this subject to kind of kick us off is Diane Haddad, the Genealogy Insider Blogger. Hi, Diane. Hello. Um, I see that you blogged not too long ago about some big news that's happening over in the UK. Tell us about that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Prince Harry has become engaged, and um, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. (laughs) I just enjoy watching um, princes and princesses. Gosh, I remember
0: getting up in the middle of the night and watching Diana get married. And
1: oh, my gosh. Yeah. And William and Kate. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to doing the same thing this year. They're actually getting married in 2018, apparently.
0: Yeah, spring. It's coming up really fast.
1: So I did a blog post kind of on the heraldic arms of um, Prince Harry and William and sort of speculating on what might happen with Meghan Markle. I'm kind of expecting something similar to happen to um, the Duchess of Cambridge, where um, the Queen granted her arms. And I imagine they'll do the same thing with Meghan Markle.
0: Exactly. And I think in your post, you were talking about how Kate and William had arms kind of together. So we might expect to see that Harry and Meghan would have What do they call them? Conjugal arms?
1: Yes. um, Yes, I learned that those are called conjugal arms. And there's a coat of arms that's created that joins the arms of the couple.
0: Exactly. And I know later in this episode, we're going to have Shannon Combs-Bennett here. She's got a whole article that you have in the magazine on Mm -hmm. heraldry and and how the coat of arms things work. And it's one of those things most of us have heard of, and I know, like me, I don't know much about
1: what it all really means. There are a lot of myths surrounding it, and Shannon's article kind of goes through what each symbol means and um, where it comes from, so some of Princess Diana's elements of her arms were incorporated into those of her sons and it's kind of fascinating how how they've done that
0: so they do kind of show some of your your ancestry and things that are significant in your family in your coat which is i think really neat and i know a lot of people often wonder do i have famous people do i have royalty Mm -hmm. in my family tree what do you say to people who ask you that
1: well, a lot of people have family stories like that, and sometimes it comes because their last name is Washington, or you know, their dad always had a coat of arms on the wall, and so they um, believe that they have a family coat of arms. And sometimes there's a grain of truth. Um, sometimes there's no truth to it, and it's just a family story that's been developed. If you do believe that you have a famous ancestor. Um, You don't do much different from any kind of genealogy. You research your line as far back as you can, and you um, research the famous ancestor as far back as you can, and then you look for a common ancestor. And it's fairly easy online to find ancestry information of well-known Americans, um, usually just by Googling the person's name and genealogy.
0: Right. So you're saying our strategy is not to go to the shop at Disneyland and say, I want the Cook coat of arms.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or the one in the mall.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, there's there's lots of different ways, I guess, looking at other folks' trees on Ancestry. And um, we, it all comes back to our own research, doesn't it? You have to do the legwork to really see where the connections are.
1: It does. And I hope people, it's exciting to be related to someone who's well known, but um, our everyday normal ancestors who were just kind of humble and went to work every day and raised their families, those people are very important also. And they also have very interesting stories.
0: Well, they're the reason why we're here. But of course, if you want to test your knowledge about The Royal Family Tree, see how much you know about that, just in case your tree hooks up with it. Uh, Diane, you have a link on the end of this post where they can take a little quiz, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Totally fun. Okay. Well, this was a great kickoff to an episode. Let's uh, keep talking to all the folks at Family Tree Magazine and find out if we can figure out more about the famous people in our family trees. Thanks so much, Diane. You're welcome. episode, as I said at the top of the show, we're kind of talking about famous family trees. And one of the things that often comes to mind is uh, coat of arms and heraldry and, and all that type of stuff. And, and yet I think a lot of folks don't know all the specifics on it, but I know somebody who does. And that is author Shannon Combs Bennett. She's written an article in the February 2018 issue of Family Tree Magazine. It's called hark the heraldry. (laughs) And she talks about the realities and the myths surrounding heraldry and genealogy. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Good. You know, I, I can't think of the last time I even saw this topic covered in the magazine. And I thought it was just fascinating. How did you become interested in this topic? And where did you go to kind of dig into it and find out what's true and what's not?
2: Well, this is going to sound kind of weird, but everybody has to have an odd hobby, right? (laughs) So I have been fascinated with heraldry long before I even delved into family trees and family genealogy. One of my odd studies of research, I guess you could say, for about the last 20 years has been medieval heraldry. In particular, I I do stained glass, and I really fell in love when my mother was stationed in Germany. We would go to all of these big cathedrals, and I remember standing there in France and in Germany and, and across Europe looking at these stained glass pieces of heraldry, and I wanted to know more about them. And from that obsession as a college student visiting my parents on Christmas break, it's evolved, <laughs> I guess you could say from there, into a minor obsession at times. Because to me, it's, it's just fascinating, all the information that you can get from a picture about a person and their family and where they're from and who they were and what they did. Exactly. Well, now let's start with the basics,
0: because I'm sure everybody's at different levels in terms of what they know about this. Define what is heraldry? And then how is that the same or different than a coat of arms?
2: Okay. So heraldry started in the Middle Ages, they think, uh, sometime after the Crusades. So let's Mm -hmm. say about the year 1100. And it was a way for the knights of Europe to be distinguished from each other, and in particular in tournaments. And a person called a herald would announce you, and then the heralds would be responsible for your blazon or what you were wearing, your picture, and then it became known as heraldry. That's kind of where it started. Mm. So you can think of heraldry as a picture that represents a person, either through labeling their stuff or their armor on a field or their castle or either window or whatever it might be. And a lot of people call them coats of arms. But a coat of arms is really the specific kind of like the shield you see with all the doodads around it, I guess. You know, like sometimes there's animals holding it up and crowns on top and banners flying. That's a coat of arms. And the heraldry is the little picture there on the shield in front of you.
0: Now, we think of a coat of arms as representing a family or a surname. And then you you talked about heraldry being an individual. Yes. (laughs) Help us with that. You know, because it's intertwined. We know it's intertwined.
2: It is. The best example of heraldry and how it's passed down and how it can be codified, I always suggest people start with English heraldry because they still have a College of Arms. In fact, Canada has a College of Arms and Scotland and Ireland, and there's various places that do. But the English have been very dedicated, I guess you could say, in their study of heraldry. So when you're getting started, it's a good place to go. And these images, this heraldry, these arms, um, were awarded to a person. So it might, you know, be the family surname on top of it, but usually only the heraldic heir would be the person who'd be allowed to inherit the family coat of arms. So, you know, usually that was the the person who got the title, let's say, you know, for a a landed noble or someone who like a duke or a duchess or et cetera, et cetera. They would inherit the arms with the title. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you could be awarded arms at the whim of the crown, you know, for a deed or because you have, you know, done some amazing exploit, or you've earned it through uh, numerous things, you know, being a a good soldier, giving a lot of money. In later years, you could purchase arms. And then the heralds would sit down and create an image specifically for you. Mm -hmm. And depending on how you were awarded those, depended on whether or not somebody else could inherit that So a lot of people get really confused because they go to all of these, you know, you go overseas or you go to a heraldry place and you see the little coats of arms with your name on it. Right. And I always caution people because how do you know that's your family? And one of the things, you know, when I was young and still early in studying this, Um, probably about two or three years after I started really researching heraldry. I was just married and I thought I would get this wonderful present from my husband for our first Christmas. And I went to one of these, you know, um, heraldry booths. Mm -hmm. I was at an Irish festival when we lived in Indiana. And I told the man where I thought my husband's Bennett family was from and where I thought Mike Holmes family was from. And he said, oh, well, these are your arms and this lovely printout and he framed it. And now I look at it because it's in my closet and I just shake my head because it can't be them. Because unfortunately, a lot of people think, oh, this is my family's coat of arms. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. But when you find an ancestor who has heraldry or has, you know, has that little image it's theirs. It's, it's great to identify that ancestor in your family tree with, but you can't claim it as your own. And there are international laws, believe it or not, where, you know, if you claim someone's heraldry, you can be sued for it under some courts. Um, it's that serious. I don't think us as Americans think about that, you know, because we think of them as these really cool ancestral pictures right. or, you know, a piece of my family puzzle. Oh, I, I had a person who was so important or, you know, whatever, who was given these this wonderful image and this heraldry and I can put it up in my house. But if you did that, you know, let's say in England, somebody could come and if they are the rightful heirs to that arms, they could take you to court for it. Wow. Now, now I've heard of people
0: who who sit down and design their own coat of arms, because as you lay out beautifully this graphic and the article, there are some, the different pieces and their Mm -hmm. meanings. You could actually assemble something that kind of represents yourself. Now, is that technically something that, that anybody could do? Or is it? there's official and there's non-official based on whether or not they're
2: registered. (laughs) Yes. Well, there actually is a registration process. Believe it or not, you can go out online and if you search for heraldic registration or you go to the um, college of arms in London, there are guidelines you can follow on their website. And for a lot of Americans, believe it or not, if you can prove that you are descended from an English man I think a lot of us can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can apply to the Heralds in London to have a coat of arms designed specifically for you. Wow. Now, it's not cheap, but they will work with you. A few years ago, gosh, it has to be more like 10 years ago now, there was actually a man who designed, he's in the IT communications field, and he has a coat of arms and Heraldry with a cell phone and a satellite on it. So you can have it any design you want it to be, and the heralds at in London will work with you to design it to mean something to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, when Kate Middleton, now the Duchess of Cambridge, married Prince William, she had a coat of arms because she became a Duchess, and with that came, you know, a royal prerogative to bear arms and et cetera. And if you go out and you look at her arms. It's very simple, very clean. It has what's called a chevron, which is a big peak in the middle of it. And it has three oak leaves. And the semblance of it, according to the College of Heralds, is that it's to represent her family. Uh, they're from the mountain mountainous area. So that's the chevron, the peak in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the three oak leaves are her and her two siblings. And the colors are that of her family colors that they enjoy. So they really put some thought and some time into it to try to consider how can we make an, an emblem to represent her and her family.
0: The way you describe it, it sounds like it's a really neat homage honoring
2: your family and
0: being able to put those things that are unique to your family in it. How wonderful.
2: Yeah, it it really is. And once you start learning the little nuances, because there's certain designs that can be placed on a coat of arms or a piece of heraldry Mm -hmm. that will distinguish you from your siblings. The the best example I can give is if you look at the the royal family's arms. So the the queen has the arms of England. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the prince of Wales has a specific charge which is called a label across it and it's basically a white line with three little lines that come down from it and on it are feathers for the prince of wales mm-hmm. now when he becomes king that label will go away and then he will bear the arms of england now each of his sons have a specific label so it's the arms of england because they're in, they're the next in line for the throne and then their label, I think, if I remember correctly, on Prince Williams, he has three seashells to represent his mother's arms. Because his mm-hmm. mother, Lady Diana Spencer, had her own coat of arms. So it can distinguish between siblings and a family, especially when the oldest or the heir will only get the family coat of arms. Mm-hmm. The other siblings could have a similar design to their parents' arms but with a slight alteration so you know who it is. How neat. Now I have to ask, do you have your okay. own
0: coat of arms?
2: No, I don't.
0: I should. You should. <laughs> oh, my
2: gosh. You're a wealth it of is, information about this. And it, it sounds it's, really neat. It is. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've gone around and I've collected as many of my own family coat of arms as I can, and I have them. And um, I spent Christmas um, overseas, and I, I'm i not kidding. I took over 400 pictures of, of coats of arms from all over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's one of those uh, bucket wish list things yeah. that, you know, one of these days I will have saved up enough money where... I I can pick one of my male English ancestors (laughs) and do the application and and go ahead and pay the money to actually get a coat of arms. I think it would be a, a neat present to myself, actually.
0: Absolutely. Well, everybody listening, if you're interested in this, Shannon has not only a wonderful background on this in the article, but a nice resource list at the end with lots of different organizations that you can get in touch with and learn more about this yourself. Shannon, this is fascinating. Thank you
2: so much for sharing.
0: And it sounds like anybody could have a little bit of fame of their own, huh?
2: That's right. And thank you for having me. I I think this is a wonderful topic that all genealogists know a little bit about.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Talk to you again soon.
2: Okay. Bye-bye.
3: In our 101 the Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, author David Fricksell is back to talk about a website where you can find many famous folks, and that's Find the Grave. Welcome back, Dave.
4: Hi, nice to be here.
3: Good to have you here. You know, uh, we're doing this over Google Voice today because I have no internet, so it might sound a little different to the listeners, but, uh, you know, with technology, we just have to work around, don't we?
4: Absolutely. Technology, you know, can't live with it, can't live without it.
3: Exactly. Well, you know, uh, I was uh, looking at Find a Grave, and interestingly, one of the the quickest and easiest ways to see all those famous people is following their Twitter feed. I've noticed when you go follow Find a Grave on Twitter, you see they had on there today Donna Summer and Isaac Asimov and, you know, where they're buried and all this information. Um, Give us a quick overview. What is the Find a Grave website? What's it all about?
4: Well, and you'll notice if you go to the website, which is, of course, just findagrave.com, they've recently done a makeover on it, so it has sort of a new look. Um, I don't know that the functionality has changed um, dramatically, but the idea of it uh, has always been that uh, people out there would submit information, transcriptions, and also, where possible, photos of graves of uh, people, whether it's their ancestors or not necessarily your ancestors. You know, you might just take it as a project to you know, tackle law Lawn Cemetery in your town and upload that information. So it's a great, you know, user-contributed website, and it's been on our 101 Best Websites just forever. Uh, it's free. It's got a lot of information. It's pretty easy to search. And, you know, if you go to the home page to search millions of grave records, you can search by name, uh, year-born, year-died, cemetery location, but you, and you don't have to fill in all of those blanks so that... You know, I've done very big searches on it just thinking, well, you know, anybody with this sort of unusual last name uh, who's in, you know, this state even, I'll just look for them. And it's easy to go through them. They have done a lot of things. I think maybe this is lately, as you mentioned, the Twitter feed um, with famous people and famous graves. And so even right on their website homepage, they have a on this day as some famous person um, who died. and so. If you're just curious about famous people or if you think you might be related to one and you need to check out you know, their genealogical information, their birth and death and so forth, um, it's a great place to start. And up on the top of the page, uh, there's specifically a link. There are links to memorials, cemeteries, and there's one for famous. So if you click on um, famous, you go to various ways to just look at famous people who are dead. And there's a famous grave search. You can browse by locations. By claim to fame, Uh, there's kind of a like levels of fame. There's people who are really famous, and then people who are just sort of semi-famous. New listings, people on the side. You see, born, died on this date. Yearly necrologies, interesting monuments, and so forth. I was browsing around. The browse by location is kind of interesting. Um, You can go to famous graves by location, and there's North America, and there's like this whole big list. And I clicked on Arizona, where we live. And I was fascinated to notice that the second um, one list the first one is Whelan Jennings, who is mm-hmm. buried, buried in Mesa. But the second one is Ted Williams, the baseball great. And I thought, why in the world would Ted Williams be buried in Arizona? Well, if you look, it's kind of funny because he's not exactly buried. If you look at the name of the cemetery, it's Alcor Life Extension Foundation. I'd forgotten it's actually, he's not buried, he's cryogenically frozen. In hopes that oh. someday we might bring him back. So you can get and all kinds of stuff my- on the <laughs> Find a Great website.
3: Oh my well, if anybody could find things like that, it would be you. I mean, that's that's fascinating. And I think, you know, the whole famous people thing is is kind of a nice little introduction, particularly for people who are brand new to genealogy. And it can seem kind of overwhelming. It can be fun just to dig into easy names that you would recognize, and just use that to kind of get a feel for the website, don't you think?
4: It's a great way to get used to the website because they they really make it easy to find famous people. And then you can sort of, you know, follow the breadcrumbs. It's like, well, that's interesting. I wonder, for example, who else is buried, quote, unquote, at Alcor Life Extension Foundation? And so if you click on that, (laughs) you find a list of some less famous people. Or if you want to see, well, you know, who besides Waylon Jennings might be buried in Mesa? Um, Mm-hmm. You know, oh, here's Barry Goldwater. Uh, he's at Christ Church of Dissension Memory Garden. I'll click on that, and you know, you just you never know. It might be somebody that uh, you know you recognize if you have roots in the uh, you know in the area. And often one of the real tricks with find a grave, you know, if you you search and you come up empty, and you're like, well, what could have happened to them? I was sure they were buried there. Well, if sometimes if you find somebody with a similar name or you know that some other person in the family was buried at this particular cemetery, then sort of, in effect, virtually cruising through the cemetery is a great way to uncover, you know, that, oh, well, here's, you know, great-great-grandma, and she's buried next to her second husband I didn't know about, and ah. but the dates match, you know, and, oh, so that, that solves the mystery of, you know, where's great-great-grandma buried Well, she's in the right cemetery, but not with husband number one because they had a falling out. You know, there's there's all kinds of those little discoveries um, that you could, sort of serendipity that you can make. And searching, taking a look, sort of cruising through the famous is uh, a fun way to get started on sort of the techniques.
3: It sure is. And for the comfort of our own home, and like you said, it also kind of gives you a new avenue to kind of, stumble into or get a bigger picture that maybe we don't get walking up and down the aisles even in person in a cemetery but it all works together the in person and the online and of course when it comes to graves it sounds like find a grave certainly was uh, justified to be on the list I always love the fascinating things you find I cannot wait to talk to you about the next website in an upcoming episode thank you so much David
4: looking forward to it thanks
0: It's January, and chances are you are thinking about getting organized for the new year. Well, why not follow the strategies of the pros? I've invited Janine Adams to the show to share some of the tips that she's gathered from well-known genealogy experts that she's going to be sharing in an upcoming workshop. The workshop is called What the Pros Know, Genealogy Organization Tips. Welcome
5: to the show, Janine. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here.
0: It's great to have you here because, of course, this is the topic that is on everybody's mind as they're thinking about going into a brand new year. You don't want to kind of take all your mess with you. Um, Start us off, tell us, who have you lined up to chat with during this workshop?
5: Well, I'm really excited because I have four great uh, genealogists who know so much about organizing and all things genealogy. First, we have Drew Smith, who is the author of the book Organize Your Genealogy. And he's going to be talking about organizing the research process. Then we have Joshua Taylor, who is the president of the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society. And people probably know him from Genealogy Roadshow. He's going to be talking about time management and staying focused in their genealogy um, then we have Thomas McKenty of Abundant Genealogy and High Definition Genealogy, who will be talking about research logs, which I think are so important. And then Denise Levinick, the family curator, who I'll be talking with about organizing inherited items in the family archives. Oh, what a
0: terrific lineup. And, and I know that uh, organization is certainly a topic that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, that's kind of the focus of what you talk about on your blog. So I'm guessing that you may have some favorite organizational tips that you can share with us?
5: Sure. I'm a professional organizer, so I always have organizational tips at my my fingertips. When I I think about genealogy, I think what I hear a lot about from uh, my blog readers is that they have a big backlog of stuff to organize. And so my tip for them and for everybody is to try to integrate organizing into the research process so that you don't let that backlog build up because dealing with a backlog of files to file or in process is can feel like drudgery to a lot of people. And that makes genealogy less fun. And when you're not organizing your genealogy, you feel out of control. And I think you you are less inclined to do it.
0: Very true. Very true. And I'm guessing do you subscribe to that idea of kind of pick it up once and deal with it? (laughs) Is that what you mean by not putting it off?
5: Yeah, right. Um, if you can integrate, um, for example, if you find a birth certificate in your research, don't print it out and put it on your desk. In, rather, I suggest you download it. I don't like to print anything out. But, but go ahead and go through the process of renaming the file name, filing it in your, um, in your file cabinet or in your digital file or, or organization, and then taking the information From the birth certificate entering into your software, assigning the source citation to it, so that attach the image to your source citation, so that by the time you stop with that document, everything's taken care of. I mean, you you may have to look at it more than once to make that happen, but if you do it all at the same session where you find the uh, document itself, I think that life is a lot easier.
0: Yeah, and I imagine even if you're on a roll and you're kind of following a lead, sometimes I think that's what makes us resist mm-hmm. stopping and doing that. Um, yes. Maybe it sounds like budgeting some time that some of your research time actually includes the cleanup.
5: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right. I tried. I tried to research every day, and so I have a pretty limited amount of time where I I get to do that, mm-hmm. um, and so I always try to budget the time. I don't. I don't stop unless I've gotten the stuff actually processed, which Mm -hmm. I say that, and I wish it were true. It's actually, I'm not perfect. So (laughs) I do have a little backlog that I'm working on right now. But um, that's the ideal, certainly budgeting that time.
0: You bet. Uh, Any other tips for us that that you share kind of from your personal experiences?
5: Well, for me, I used to get really um, bogged down with the question of what am I going to work on today? And sometimes that would paralyze me. Mm -hmm. um, And so i I now work really hard to keep track of my next steps. So all I have to do when I sit down to research in the morning is look at yesterday's uh, log or what I did yesterday and where I've written down the next steps so that I can jump right back into it. Having a place where I can write next steps um, to me is really helpful and it's it's helped me stay focused and, and not get that paralysis.
0: And I imagine this is a consistent place, not just random sticky notes all over the, <laughs> the computer screen,
5: right? Yes, yes, absolutely. For me, it's Evernote. For somebody oh, else, it might mm-hmm. be a spiral notebook. Um, but uh, right, a consistent place. Post. I love post-it notes in my in my life in general, but I don't like them for keeping track of tasks.
0: Yeah, great point. Well, those are great ideas. They're things that all of us struggle with. Um, What can people expect in the workshop? Because I know this goes pretty in depth, and it is a workshop. So it's this, um, what, about a week long? And what kinds of things happen during this time?
5: Well, I get the opportunity to talk with each of these four experts and about those specific areas of focus that I mentioned. And so, in the workshop, people will be able to hear those interviews. There'll be a PowerPoint in front of it with the tips, the big takeaways in front of them, and then they can um, participate in the online forums, ask questions that might come up uh, during having when they're listening to the workshop, and then I'll be on hand to answer the questions in the forum. So I'll be bringing my um experience my own experience in and I'll also uh, if necessary consult with the interviewees to come up with the answers.
0: So the interviews are you're watching videos during the workshop and then you've got this live interaction on the forum but they can download these videos and turn to them all year long, can't they?
5: Absolutely. Those tips will be right in front of them when they look at the videos.
0: Terrific. Well, I, I can't imagine anybody who couldn't benefit from this, and they actually get uh, the experts that you've lined up, and you, because you are, as you said, an organizational expert, and we could all use that in our life. Um, what we've been talking about is the workshop that is coming up through Family Tree University, and it's called What the Pros Know, Genealogy Organization Tips. This starts up on January 29th, so it's very soon in 2018. And um, we will have a link in the show notes so that you can go and participate in that. And if you are listening to this down the road sometime into the future, you can still check out those show notes because uh, this may be repeated, I'm guessing, or possibly even available in a video format down the road. So, whenever you're listening, it is always a good time to go and get organized. Thank you so much, Janine Adams, for sharing all of your wonderful tips with us here
5: on the podcast. Thank you, Lisa.
0: Well, can you believe we're already to the end of this month's episode? And of course, that means we need to stop by the publisher's desk and check in with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi,
6: Lisa. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too.
0: It's it's amazing. It's already two thousand and eighteen, and we've been having some fun. I think kicking off the new year, which is kind of fun, talking about famous families, but. I'm kind of interested to know, I know you've shared in the past different uh, genealogical research that you've done and and kind of how you apply what what goes on in Family Tree Magazine in your own personal research. Do you have any personal New Year's resolutions that you
6: want to share with us? I sure do. I think that this is a great time of year. It's always very busy and very stressful um, coming off the holidays, but being a time when people take stock of things and really kind of recommit to um, what they want to accomplish in the new year. I do that every year in genealogy. We come into a new business year for Family Tree and I think about all the cool things that we're going to do um, in our business. And then I think about how I can apply that to my own research and what I want to accomplish. And so I've been doing that. And the first resolution for me is taking advantage of Getting some personal research accomplished this year. So every year I go out to Salt Lake City for the Roots TED conference, which is happening at the end of February this year. And in years past, I've poked around at the Family History Library, and some years I've gotten some stuff done, and some years I really haven't gotten much accomplished that I'd like to. So I'm committing to taking the next little less than two months to do my legwork and prepare and have some really clear objectives and records that I'd like to look up and uh, make some progress on my family tree while I'm there. So I better get started today.
0: <laughs> well, that's a great idea. I, I'm ashamed to say how many times I've gone to RootsTech. And it just came up on me so fast. And I get there and I realize I, I don't even think I'll go to the library this time because I don't have my ducks in a row. And And, you know, you're talking about making sure you've got your documents in a cloud storage where you can grab them, maybe you just have your tablet with you or whatever, you've already figured out kind of what your research question is, and the pieces of that. I mean, it takes a little bit of effort, but it sure pays off when you're there.
6: It sure does. And you know, I think anybody can apply this um, to their own situation, whether you're going to Salt Lake City, or you're just going to the local public library. Yeah, it's so important to make the most of that time. So you're not fumbling around and you're actually getting to use that for something productive. So things like checking the catalog, making sure the materials or the films that you want are present. And if they're not ordering them in advance, um, setting forth clear objectives, all of that stuff will help us make the most of our time when we're actually on the ground doing research in a facility.
0: Awesome. Well, that's a great
6: resolution. Uh, Did you say you have two? I do. So my second resolution relates to something very personal. Some of you who are regular listeners might have noticed that my voice was missing for a few episodes (laughs) recently. And that's because I recently had a new baby. My son Declan was born at the end of September. And as a new mom with multiple kids and a thriving career, I often don't have a lot of time for much else besides working and being with my family. But you know, every mom and dad like to make a baby book for their kids. And um, with subsequent children, that's often something that maybe falls by the wayside a little bit. But one of my resolutions is to work on that baby book for Declan so that not only he has it, but future generations will have that as a genealogical record of his birth and his early months as a baby. That
0: is a great idea. My daughter's doing the same thing. She has a brand new baby girl. And Uh, it's it's so easy to think oh you're gonna do it and then I remember I think with my third it was probably a couple years down the road and just like with genealogy uh, the information's
6: not as fresh in the
0: mind three years later
6: (laughs) as it is at the time of the event right exactly primary secondary sources exactly
0: (laughs) I love it well perfect genealogy resolutions I bet you there's a couple people out there who are saying oh yeah I've got my version of that I think I'll do it and um It always kind of feels good. I like having a focus, what I'm going to do in the coming months. It's, It's nice. Hey, this is terrific. We are looking forward to talking to you again next month. And of course, congratulations on the adorable baby. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for joining me for this January 2018 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Be sure to visit the show notes webpage at com slash podcasts, where you're going to find links to everything that we talked about in today's episode. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which of course is also available for free through iTunes, as is this show, and we have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.